Bond, James Bond. Hi, this is Robert Dobby, and you're listening to Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Stay tuned. Today, we take apart the gadgets in three of Roger Moore's James Bond movies. For Your Eyes Only, 1981, Octopussy, 1983, and A Few to a Kill, 1985. We have other podcast episodes out from Roger Moore movies as Bond, like our gadgets in Moonraker with Joe Papalardo and so on, so you can take a listen to those as well. we got a lot of gadget episodes out. They've been very popular. All right, this is Dan and Tom from SpyMovieNavigator.com and our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. All right, let's get to the gadgets. For Your Eyes Only, 1981. Again, this is one of my favorite Roger Moore outings as Bond. And there are a few gadgets in this film, like the ATAC machine, the automatic targeting attack communicator, used to order submarines to fire their ballistic missiles, similar to the Lector decoder in From Russia with Love, or the real Enigma machine from World War II, or others that we have mentioned. Yeah, it's believable for sure. Oh, absolutely. Just It's a modernized version of those things. Yeah. And you saw a real Enigma when you went to the episode we did on the Spyscape Museum, didn't you? I did, yeah. They had, at the Spyscape Museum in New York City, they had a real Enigma machine. And they retrieved it from underwater, I believe, in some lake. I think that was, it was where they found it. And when the Allies got a hold of an Enigma machine during World War II, and, and cracking its code was the focus so that the Allies would know what the Axis powers were doing and planning, this was like a big deal. So seeing an actual real one was pretty cool. So capturing a U-boat in World War II and retrieving the Enigma machine without Germany knowing that the Allies had it, that was a genuine accomplishment. And actually... We had an admiral who lived next door to my mother when she was younger, Admiral Gallery, and he's the one who captured the U-505, which is at the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago, and he actually was towing it, and they didn't want anybody to know he had captured this submarine. He was so proud of it and everything, but they didn't want anybody to know he had captured (laughs) a U-boat with the Enigma machine again. They already had the Enigma machine, but they didn't want anybody to know about it. Anyway, he lived next door to my mother, Admiral Gallery. There you go. That's, that's pretty cool. Now, yeah. the, the cool thing about this gadget, though, they, they, well, they, again, this is a modernized version of what the Enigma was. And if you really want to get into this, the movie The Imitation Game with Benedict oh, yeah. Cumberbatch, huh. it, I'll call it a dramatization. It's not real, exactly what happened. but Not exactly what uh, happened. Yeah. But it gives you kind of the story of Alan Turing and the creation of the the first computer that was used to yes. crack Enigma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of the fundamentals are are solid in that movie. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. good. Now, the next one, I, I kind of laughed a little bit about when I looked at it. To, to me, it looked pretty fake. Uh-huh. But given where the technology was at the time, maybe it was closer to real than I I can give it credit for. I'm not sure. But I'm talking about the identograph. Now, this is, <laughs> okay. this is All right. that device that Q has where Bond describes an opponent's features and Q inputs the data to create a face that was close to how the, the person described. You see where sketch artists do that with, for, with the police, where yeah, yeah. people try to, try to do that. Yeah. But here they're trying to make it automated. So in real life, there were such devices, but as what Q uses here in the movie... They were pretty simplistic devices, yeah. and I think it's pretty simplistic in 1981. And looking back, you know, I don't know, 
kind of like an Etch-a-Sketch. I'm not sure. <laughs> it kind of does look like an Etch-a-Sketch toy. <laughs> there, there, there is a Phillips label on it, so it was a Phillips device in the film. But it was an interesting little gadget, but it did make me laugh the first time I saw it. Yeah. All right. I thought it was, it looked, well, now it really looks ridiculous. <laughs> Looking back at that. Yes. But, but, we're, we're, but we have to remember where technology was in 1981. Yeah, right. You right. remember, I mean, if you think about it, like I didn't start at Microsoft until 1989. Yeah, right. So this is nine, or this is eight years before that. Yeah, 1981, you and, had the Atari computer out, the Commodore computers. You had, you know, those little green screen. So it was, yeah. you know, yeah. All so right. maybe, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. All right, now we got Blofeld's remote-controlled helicopter. <laughs> Wait, we're not sure it's Blofeld. They never say. His oh name. yeah, that, that's true. That's true. All head has the white cat, but yeah. they, they never say the name. <laughs> a lot of lawsuits going on at that time, and so on. So they didn't have the right to it. All right, this bald-headed guy's remote-controlled helicopter. Now you're saying it's a remote control. I mean, it looks like a real helicopter. Yeah, it's, it's a real helicopter. It's not a toy. It, it's a helicopter that Bond gets into after he leaves Tracy's grave, and they. They say, hey, you know, you got to get back to the office. Something big is going on. You need and it to has a pilot. It's got a pilot and and so on. So he gets in it, and it turns out, of course, that this bald-headed guy, who looks like Blofeld, is controlling Let's it. Let's just and, call him Axfeld. <laughs> yeah. And he's going to, of course, try to kill Bond in some elaborate way with this remote-controlled helicopter. Okay. The U.S. military... They were flying unmanned drones in the year 2000 and armed drones shortly thereafter. But really, the first remote-controlled drone was developed way back in 1917. Yeah, it was called the Ruston Proctor Aerial Target, and it became the first pilot. Doesn't that just flow trippingly off your tongue? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it became the first pilotless winged aircraft in history, making it the first radio-controlled pilotless airplane. Ah. This is 1917. You know, the Wright brothers flew in 1903, right? So something like that. This is not that long after that, the first flight. So the the remote control technology was based on work done by Nikola Tesla, which, of course, he was the big competitor of Thomas Edison. I actually worked with him for a while. Now, of course, we all know the word Tesla now from Tesla cars and so on, but this guy was a genius. So in For Your Eyes Only in 1981, we're saying, okay, this is somewhat believable that we can do this. Yeah. The thing the thing I'm not so sure I quite bought yeah. was, I mean, you've got the pilot, so the pilot's going to have control. So that the remote control device is going to usurp the control that the pilot has? That seems a little... Yeah, yeah I don't know. I could, I could believe that. usually it, the pilot can override what's going on from what's But he electrocuted programmed. the pilot, though. So the pilot well, was that's dead. that's true. Yeah, so... That's true. Yeah. Okay. Well, he's gone. All right. Okay, so then we get, and I, I'm not sure if this is a gadget really, but the clandestine recording device, which was just a tape recorder hidden on the table at this restaurant that's outside. Oh, oh yeah. Now this yeah. Th- this well, also though had the Philips logo on it, yeah, and it was modified product. to fit this candle holder. So it was product placement, product placement. So we all remember that scene. All right, now then we move to a gadget that uh, many Bond fans really, really like, and that is, of course, Bond's watch. Yeah, yeah. So now here in For Your Eyes Only, Bond has a watch that is both a transmitter, allowing him to talk and to hear somebody. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like the Dick Tracy watch, 
from the comics decades earlier. Yeah. And it's also a message system because Bond could receive electronic messages running across the top of the face of the watch. Wait, it didn't so wait, print it out? So we, <laughs> no, it was just text on the watch. So yeah. you had a watch that you could talk to, yeah. you could hear from, yeah. and it could receive electronic messages. Mm. And this was way better than what we saw with that message tape <laughs> printer watch thing he had in The Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah. Yeah, so so we think the first watch phone wasn't launched until like 1999 by Samsung. Mm -hmm. So Bond was like 18 years ahead of the times. Wow. Sorry, I said times talking about the watch. I had to. Oh, oh I get it. I get it. Hey, you <laughs> Sorry. stuff like that like I do. Nice. Thanks. <laughs> so we have, a, again, we have a watch that it can, you can talk to, you can hear from, and you can receive electronic messages. And if you think about what was there in this movie and how it has evolved, with things like the Samsung Galaxy Watch or the Apple Watch, much more sophisticated now, still very cool. And we kind of saw it in this movie years ahead yeah. before it became reality. Yeah. You like when it's predictive, too. Kind of like Star Trek stuff, you know, from the Star Trek show. That was kind of cool. All right. So I think that's pretty much it for the gadgets in... For your eyes only. Yeah, I think that's the only ones worth talking about. I yeah, think. I mean, the rest of the stuff is kind of stuff you see, you know. Yeah. Crossbows and whatever. That's right, so let's move to Octopussy, 1983. All right, let's go to Octopussy. In the pre-title sequence for Octopussy, the briefcase has a hidden compartment in it to hide a bomb. Bond is trying to blow up the spy plane when he is disguised as Colonel Toro. And he's got this device. But the real Colonel catches Bond and takes the device. Easy to believe. Yeah, absolutely. A bomb in a, in a briefcase, a hidden compartment briefcase. They've done that for years, and spies have used stuff like that for years. So they've been around forever. And actually, you could actually purchase a briefcase like that today. So just search for them on Etsy. Yeah, but use it to hide documents, please. Don't put a bomb in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just <laughs> you know, hide your, your jewelry or something. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it would be handy if Q could whip up a false bottom drawer that we could use at home to hide stuff. Now that would, you know. Dan, was... you could whip up a, a false bottom drawer. You don't need Q to do it. I mean, uh, it's gotta look how great. hard is that? It's got to look good. All right. All right. Let's look at the fake crocodile. Must we? Yeah. Well, it's. It is a gadget. It's not only a gadget. It's a vehicle. Because we saw it at Bond in Motion. When we That's were in true. London that time, when the bonded motion That's was true. there, right? So yeah. this fake crocodile is kind of interesting. It gets Bond to the floating palace, Octopussy's floating palace, which is in real life the Taj Lake Palace Hotel in Udapur, India. You could book a palace view lake room there through their website for about $677 US a night as of this time. So, hey, not bad. You don't have to take a crocodile there, though. Well, that's true. You don't have to get to the get to the resort that way. Yeah. yeah. Now, right. like you said, we saw this when we saw this gadget when we went to the Bond in Motion exhibit five years ago. I think something like that. And it definitely looks better in the water than it does in the exhibit. In the exhibit, you're like, really? That's what that thing is? It's more real in the, in the water. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. It would though. That's where it belongs. All right. Yeah. So the next one we need to talk about is Bond's jet. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a good that's one. That's a that's a good one because it's it's the one that's hidden in the horse trailer in the pre-title sequence. Love it. This was a BD5J jet. It was the smallest jet made, and it was first introduced in 1971. All right, so this guy Bob Bishop purchased some of the kits and he built them. Yeah. And there's still two of these things around, and the one flown in the film may have sold an auction in 2014. Yeah. And the one from the movie that wasn't flown is in a flying museum in Los Angeles. Yeah. It's got a 17-foot wingspan and can go up to about 300 miles per hour. Right. Very, very cool. Aquasar made these kits, Aquasar Jet. And uh, I don't know if you could still buy a kit anymore, but they were cool. And I love that it was hidden in the horse trailer. I, I, that was that was pretty neat. Yeah, nice nice cover for it. Like, because yeah. you, you're not going to look at that horse trailer and go, "Yeah, a jet's going to come out of there." Yeah, yeah. And uh, check out our pre-title sequence decoded session on Octopussy. We talk about the jet and the whole concept of the jet there a little bit more too. So pretty cool, good stuff. And the flight scenes for this jet were filmed in the southwest part of the U.S. state of Utah. So I've been there, and in I'm not even going to say where, where. So if you're going to do that hunt, you have a little effort. But in southwestern Utah, the gas station that he pulls up to did exist at the time they shot that movie. Yeah. And there's some interesting stories about how that jet got in front of that gas station. Yeah, yeah. You uh, actually but, saw the bridge where he flew under the bridge. Yeah, I saw the, and it flies under the bridge, and that, that bridge still exists. The, the ridges he's flying past, that's all there. In the southwest part of the state of Utah, it's not within like a two-mile section. You have to do some driving to get to them. But unfortunately, that gas station where he pulls in and says, fill her up, the gas station was there at the time that the movie was made, but it doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, I hate when the actual filming locations don't exist anymore. I like filming locations. I think it's fun as opposed to a studio location where it's just shot and destroyed later. I love when you can actually go to the real filming location and it's still there. Kind of cool. Yeah, but th- you know, we've been to over a hundred. Things evolve, them. right? Yeah, if you're if you're yeah. if you're going to show a building, buildings go away. You know, it's different than you know it. It does happen, but rock structures and stuff like yeah, that yeah. go away. But usually over years. Yeah. Right. All right. Bond has this beautiful Mont Blanc pen that doubles as a listening device. So he could track the Fabergé coronation egg. And it also shot out a special acid that could eat through steel. And that's how Bond eats through the metal bars on the window in Kamal Khan's palace. Ah, comes in pretty damn handy, Q's gadget here. It's kind of like Jaws in liquid form. (laughs) (laughs) Supposedly... Supposedly nitric and hydrochloric acid. Believable? Uh, I don't think the iron melting no. the iron part is all that believable. Iron is strong, and it would take a lot of acid and a lot of time. More, more with, than what came out of that little pen. <laughs> yeah, with probably continuous application. So a pen's worth of it. Uh, I'm thinking, nah. That, yeah. And, no. and, and I always wonder, why did it eat through the pen? That's exactly what I thought. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> okay. how, how could it be stored in the pen? Yeah. I mean, maybe the interior was glass and not metal. You know, like a glass and, yeah, that could maybe be it. But but I always did wonder that. I was like, oh, hmm. <laughs> All 
All right, the writing's on the wall for this one. I think uh, we say, nah, we can't believe now that, it. That phrase yeah. raises the specter <laughs> that it would be a great title for a Bond theme song. <laughs> okay, so I'm sorry. That was lame. <laughs> uh, look, yeah, we have a, you know, we have things for that, you know. All right. <laughs> All right, the fake Fabergé egg versus the real Fabergé egg. The rogue general Orlov steals the real egg from the Kremlin treasury to finance his plot to explode a nuclear device in West Germany on the American base. The fake egg ends up in Bond's hands via 009, if you remember from the pre-title, who stole the forgery. In any event, the real egg has a homing device and transmitter and a hearing device so Bond can track its whereabouts. Sure, tracking and homing devices in 1983, yeah, yeah, we'll follow that. We'll go with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but they blew it with this one. Why? They, they totally did. So in the movie, Jim Fanning has the Sotheby's catalog because they're going to auction this off, calling it the property of a lady. Mm-hmm. And that's what the auctioneer calls it. But there's a subtitle that calls it the coronation egg and it's technically the, the Fabergé coronation Easter egg, I think. And it has many of the features of the real coronation Easter egg that Fabergé did, including the surprise, which was a a hidden carriage. However, the real egg was gold with translucent lime, yellow enamel. It wasn't green like in the movie. Yes. So plus the real carriage had these strawberry colored accents where the one in the movie was just gold. That's easier. And in the movie, they say it was delivered in 1897, which they did get right because that's when the real coronation egg was delivered at Easter. Okay. Now, when I was in Russia in St. Petersburg a few years ago, I went to the Fabergé Museum. And the coronation Easter egg is one of the nine Fabergé eggs they have on display there. Yeah. And the, the what really cracked me up was when you go into the gift shop, because, of course, when you leave a museum, you have to go through the gift shop. They had reproductions done in both green like the movie, gold like the real one, and I think they might have even had a red one. And so when I, when I was buying it, I was torn between, do I get the one that looks like the, the, the real one, or do I get the one that looks like the one in the movie? And because of what we do here at Spy Movie Navigator, I bought the green one to match the movie. Good. Good. And I do have it. It's sitting on the shelf right behind me. Excellent. That's good. So now let's be fair. Very few people would have seen the real egg, especially in 1983 before, because it wasn't in the museum then. Yeah. So almost nobody would have known the color was wrong. And at the time, Malcolm Forbes owned that egg. And then in 2004, this oligarch bought it. He opened up the Fabergé Museum in St. Petersburg as a way to showcase his extensive collection of the pieces, not just the eggs, but other Fabergé pieces. So I would say if you are ever in St. Petersburg, it's worth an hour or so of your time to visit the museum and you can see what it really looks like. Cause if they had made the color gold, it would have looked almost yeah. identical to the egg. It had been boring for the film. <laughs> Who knows? It's pretty impressive looking in gold. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. So that's, I'm sorry. I went off on a little tangent there, but I think they blew it. They, they have the gadget, so make it right. All right. Tom's pretty particular about that kind of stuff. All righty. Let's look at Kamal Khan's loaded dice. That's, yeah, that's a good gadget. That's a gadget. Of course, in real life, there are lots of versions of loaded dice. So the thrower can get the number that he or she wants when it's rolled. Of course, 
Bond knows Khan is cheating against the Major while playing, and he takes over the Major's spot, but uses Khan's dice as, quote, player's privilege. There's a great article about the various kinds of loaded dice in the real world on lolcraps.com. Yeah. <laughs> Figure that you out. Yeah, like a, a, that. There's there's a there's something about craps that talks about loading dice and yeah yeah loading, you'll see they have a whole selection there on weighted dice. Uh, another on floaters and one on tappers and tappers is the one that's the most sophisticated. So if you kind of look at look that up, it's kind of actually a pretty interesting little article and it's all about literally all, all the cheating dice that you can possibly get. Yeah, but okay. So now don't ask me how I know this. But the tappers couldn't have been used what they for setting the dice in this movie, right? Because the way you set them and why they're called tappers is you take yeah. the dice and you hit them on the table or whatever. You you you, you hit you know. Yeah, you, yeah. I think these were just weighted dice. Because yeah. you 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 hit them on the table and it sets whatever the number is right. that you want. Yeah. But yeah, in the yeah. movie here, the dice get shaken in the dice cup. Right. With the rattling on. In the dice cup, it couldn't be a tapper. I think they were just so, the weighted dice. Well, either weighted or if you watch the way they rolled, it almost looked like they had certain edges that were shaved to force it that way. I'm not sure which one it was. Yeah. Anyway. Check, may, maybe check. I know more about that than I should. <laughs> check out that article. <laughs> LOLcraps.com. It's pretty cool. All right. Now, of course, we we have the saw blade yo-yo device that was oh, used that's a, kill, that's a fun gadget. Used to kill V. Well, blade. fun might be the wrong word, but. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> VJ was a cool character in the movie. We really liked him. And then, boom, he was the victim of this yo-yo blade device. And it was used in an attempt to kill Bond, of course, and Octopussy. So it seems to be, this is, to me, an awful lot of trouble to go through to try to kill someone. I mean, a pistol with a suppressor probably would do fine in most cases, right? I mean, what if this yo-yo backs up on you? Yikes. All right. Well, well, it's the same thing as you don't blow a cigarette with the powder out. You got to make sure you're blowing out. And they, yeah, you know, not it. in. Right. You got to. Yeah, yeah, right. But it's impressive on screen. And there is the value in it. I mean, it's. Well, well this, it this thing. Good. Yeah, this thing looked cool. It holds the audience attention. It's like, that is what a cool device. Yeah. I mean, who, who would have thought that kind of a thing existed? Yeah. And I think it probably, I mean, although with these, when we talk about here, it's a real world device. It was probably an inspiration for why they used that helicopter saw in The World is Not Enough. Ah, okay. So you've got another saw coming down from elevation, although that helicopter saw is actually used in forestry, and there are other uses for that thing. Or the the yo-yo saw here, I'm not sure how much practical use it is, but it was pretty cool to see in the movie. Pretty cool. Hard to disguise and hide. I mean, you can't carry it in your pocket. (laughs) No, uh, what the hell? All right, I think that's it for Octopussy. We've yeah, looked that at, pretty much covers that one. I yeah, think, we yeah. looked at a lot of them. Let's take a look, a uh, quick look at A View to a Kill, 1985, Roger Moore's last outing as Bond. All right, we're going to look at the gadgets. There's a scanner locator, which in the beginning, in the pre-title sequence, there's this electronic avalanche transceiver, which allows Bond to find this fallen agent, 003, in the Siberian snow. So he can retrieve the Zorin microchip. Yeah, it's believable because John Lawton invented the first effective avalanche transceiver in 1968, and they became commercially available in 1971. So skiers have been using them ever since. 
particularly in areas where avalanches are possible. So I think this is pretty cool. Yeah. Now I, I'm assuming that the the it's not locking into that microchip. I mean, they use it to find the agent, but they don't really make it clear. So if you look at the special features DVD yeah. on the box set that I've got of the of the Bond movies, they call it a microchip locator, which I'm not sure that I would call it that because when Bond finds the agent, he doesn't use it to find where the microchip is on the agent. You know, maybe it's just he knows it's going to be in well, the I think locker. he just wants to find the agent because he knows where the thing is that he needs to retrieve. He knows where that is, yeah. I think. But anyways, it, to me, this is totally a believable device. Yeah, okay, so the, the next one I want to talk about is that device that Q uses, and he called it the micro comparator. And that's where he had the two microchips and he put them side by side and he had the images displayed and then they dragged the one image. Or oh, they, yeah. Oh, yeah. In today's world, we would drag the one image on top of here. Somehow the micro comparator overlaid the two images so you yeah. could see whether there was a difference in them or not. You know, the way they used it back then, maybe not today. I absolutely believe you could do something like that. Yeah. I didn't uh, have a, a, a big stretch of believability there. I thought, yeah, that's okay. That's fine. All right, the snowmobile that Bond is riding, the Skidoo, its ski becomes a snowboard. Okay, that's a nice gadget. Now, in the again, the pre-title sequence, James Bond is trying to get away from pursuers on a snowmobile, a Skidoo. And, of course, they're shooting at him, and one hits nearby enough to blow the snowmobile apart at, right after he jumps off of it. And conveniently, one of the runners lands near him, and he looks at it and thinks, oh, he turns that into a snowboard. And he somehow <laughs> snowboards like an expert with a thing, with a gadget he just created on the he fly. just made it up. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty amazing, really, when you think about it. And so, yeah, so here it is. The gadget's use in A View to a Kill is credited with helping the popularity of snowboarding. How about that? And I love how it goes over the water because it's like a surfboard almost. And then yeah. the guys on skis fall into the water when they're on their skis. So. Yeah. Uh, even Ooh. though you do have water skis, they're not like snow skis. Snow skis, you can see you're going to sink in the water when you hit the water. So this this was good. Yeah. And this was, this was a very, very good gadget. And it was a genius way to use a part of a snowmobile. Yeah. And get a whole new twist on how you might do something like that. Yeah. And of course he's trying to escape so he can get to this device that he's going to escape in, which is a boat that looks like an iceberg. First I thought it was a sub, but it's not a sub. You never see it going underwater. It's a boat that looks like ice. Well, parts, no, it is. Cause they've got the hatch. It's got a so hatch, part of it. You don't see it going underwater. You don't see it going underwater, though. So you'd have to see it going underwater if you call it a sub. But it's a boat for sure, right? It's a boat, and it's got. <laughs> yeah, there's a distinction. Is it a hatch? Difference. I don't know. Is well, a boat above water, and, and is not a, a part submarine. of it is submerged. <laughs> yeah, well, sure. Every boat is submerged to one degree or another. That's true. Right? Okay, this place go is on. Water. All right. This boat is designed to look like an iceberg or ice that is in the water near it. So it looks pretty cool. Like you're not going to know that it's a boat. So it was plausible that that's possible. Although, as we said, when we talked about this in our episode on the pre-title sequence for a view to a kill, this thing looks hokey to us from the outside. 
The interior was well done. And the Union Jack hatch, well, that's just brilliant. I mean, you got to love that. Bond sees the Union Jack as he's approaching it and knows, okay, that's where he's got to get into. Now, I think that's how he got there in the first place, though. So I think he knew what to look for. There you go. That was a cool device. Well, if Bond sees a Union Jack, he's probably going to go to it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. So let's move forward into Snooper which was the name they gave for the remote-controlled surveillance dog. Oh, yeah. And I like this thing because, you know, we see remote-controlled devices often now, but in 1985, this seemed like it was a little bit ahead of the curve where you've got this remote-controlled thing. So it makes me think of, is this like a robotic kind of a dog, but you've got a remote control with it. From what I understand, they actually use the pieces of a remote-controlled truck to build around it. But if you think about like something like the IBO, the Sony robot thing that they, they didn't release till 1999. Yeah. yeah. uh, There was this robot controlled dog kind of thing called Tati, the cybernetic dog in the 1950s. And in the sixties, we got this thing called the Stanford cart, which was a a robot that uses the camera for guidance. Where here, Hugh's actually driving this thing. So, it wasn't totally automated, but I think that the robot called K9 in the Doctor Who series was part of the inspiration for Snooper, if you look the way they were designed. Okay. And K9 first appeared in a 1977 episode, and it had a laser beam and could talk. But to me, this whole concept of a robot dog and a remote control dog, I mean, it's really an evolution of that process. Yeah. So... I think it was a really cool, cool device. And I mean, it was used there. It was really a, a stupid use of it, but it was kind of a fun, fun yeah. little thing. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, you know, you had all kinds of robots, robots was, you know, toys in the fifties had robots and stuff, but they weren't automated in any way. They were just mechanical. We had uh, a marvelous Mike tractor robot. He drove a tractor. <laughs> it's called marvelous Mike, <laughs> but it was a robot on the tractor. Yeah. You wound it up and you, the whole thing just did that. That's all it did. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> robots were always popular. And now you hear you got one in a view to a kill. Nice. Okay. So next we go to the scene where Albergen gets killed with that poison butterfly, right? You're in the, they're in the nightclub and there's the act and the, the, somebody's doing this act and there's butterflies people have oh, on yeah. fishing poles and Mayday takes one of the poles and one of the butterflies has poison in it. Oh, yeah. And so kind of an interesting little gadget here. I think it would have been much cooler if it was remote controlled. Yeah. But the fact that this, you know, the way the show that was on stage, everybody could see that these puppeteers, if you will, were flying the, the butterflies. Yeah. But to see it then used as a poison device, eh, yeah. oh, it, was, it was all right. Yeah. A boring gadget to me. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, then let, me, then let me talk about another one. Okay, go ahead. So there's the electric shaver that's used to find bugs. Okay, that's good. And now we've, we've seen Bond in hotel rooms before trying to find yep. you know, bugs with different devices. And yeah. here they're giving you one that you can't see that it's a bug detector. So I think it's an interesting twist on it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the one that Tibbet uses. It looks like the electric shaver. So it's nice concealment in it. I mean, this isn't even a close shave. Of course, this would be possible. <laughs> we got to stop uh, these bad puns. 
Darn. I really, this one kind of looks like exactly like the triple header uh, electric razor that Norelco or Remington made. I think it was Norelco. And it, it looked like they didn't even change it. It looked like, okay, it's just you. Well, that's why the concealment works. That's why you see people have devices that are empty, you know, shaving cans and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you didn't stuff. have to do anything to conceal- do it. <laughs> You're concealing it in plain sight. All right. That's the, that's the purpose of the concealment. Beautiful. All right, let's talk about the sunglasses. Do you like those? Yes. No, not at all. In fact, to me, those sunglasses, they've got to be one of the worst gadgets in the series. Wow. And we, we say that about devices throughout these episodes where there's something that's like, you know, that finger snapper thing you didn't like. Yeah, yeah. And diamonds are forever. That right. To me, this one is just absolutely stupid. I mean, because having glasses anti-glare that can, glasses that can reduce <laughs> glare, but do you see how Bond has to activate this thing? I mean, he's got to use his fingers on the side. Oh yeah, totally inconspicuous that I'm messing with my glasses here. I mean, polarized glasses came out in 1936. <laughs> having all Bond right, have right. to do this? I mean, this thing. I mean, I could keep going, but to me, this was an extremely lame gadget. All right, let's move on to a nicer gadget: the ring camera. That's okay. a nice one, right? I, I, it's that's one of my favorites. I like it. It's a simple-looking gold signet ring, but inside is a camera. Cameras and spies go hand-in-hand, hand, this time, literally. <laughs> yeah, ring on the hand. Uh, you have to yeah. give them a hand on this one. Oh, oh, come on! You Really, you said that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, now, miniature cameras, of course, are everywhere. You could hide them in just about anything. And, well, and most of them are digital, which would yeah, help. Yeah, yeah. So uh, why not a ring that takes pictures? That let's go for it. Yeah, yeah. So we we'll we'll run with that one. That's fine. All right. All right. So then we have the device that's used to make the horse Pegasus go oh, faster. Yeah. Right. And I mean, maybe you can call this a gadget. It's a device to do something different than you would think, and you know, changes the course of the race. You've got something in there that injects with whatever this supposedly unidentifiable thing is to make the horse go yeah. and and it's remote control injector probably possible I, yeah, that one seemed plausible to me at least yeah well you had blow darts and stuff i mean come on yeah this is yeah horse. but this is embedded in the, under the skin yeah right i think it's okay so then another thing with the horses are the devices at the steeplechase so we see the steeplechase where um Maybe you could call these things gadgets as well. I mean, we're talking about the things that make the the gates change their elevation or change the, oh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the width of the water to jump over. They're all little gadgets to to change the course during the race. Yeah. So again, it's plausible. Not a great not great devices, but right. they serve the purpose. Yeah, yeah, not an exciting one. All right. What about tires for breathing? James Bond. That, that was that was smart. Yeah. <laughs> He uses the air from a tire to breathe underwater. Now, it's not just plausible, but boy, that's an excellent survival technique. Yeah, you got and air using, in a, tire. using a, co- a common thing as a gadget, if you will. Yeah, I don't and know you if you can physically do it to make it worth it and, and get enough. Oh, air, yeah, but, you, you, absolutely, you absolutely can do that. But the concept is great. I, I yeah, like yeah, absolutely. Okay, all right. Yeah, so then what about the disappearing stairs on the blimp? Right. We've seen this kind of thing done in many Bond movies. Yeah, we mentioned Nice it. gadget. Easy way to get rid of somebody. Is it better than the car crusher scene in Goldfinger that this movie seems to be based off of? Nah. Uh, 
it's similar to the scene where Mr. Solo wants to drop out of Goldfinger's plan, but I actually like the car crush scene better than than this, this scene. Yeah. Then we get a gadget that is near and dear to my heart. And that's the Apple two C computer. And it's the, it, there really was a computer back then, the Apple II C. Yeah. And to think it could show seismic activity, eh, probably. Yeah, maybe. You know, the graphics maybe. weren't super high end on it or anything, but neither were what they showed in the movie. So yeah. it's, it's I, I remember playing a game, Wizardry, on an Apple II E or C. I thought it was an E, maybe, and with my nephews. And it was a lot of fun. So yeah. I think, you know, could it have uh, tracked seismic activities? <laughs> maybe if you had the double floppy disk, maybe. <laughs> uh, remember those? Yeah. All right. Check copier. This was cool. The checkbook that doubles as a type of copier in that it can make an imprint of a check that had been written already. Okay. I guess this is believable, but wow, you're going to carry this thing around. Just in case, you might need something like this somewhere, sometime. Hey, Q is good at supplying the right device for the right. He he is. He is. He kind of knows. He kind of knows. Well, it works. And Bond gets a lead from it as he sees a check was written to Sutton for $5 million. Okay, so he makes makes the copy of Stacy's check. The thing I kind of liked about it was it was a nice Louis Vuitton cover on it. So yeah. it looked high end, like all of his luggage in this movie was Louis Vuitton. Yeah. But to me, this thing doesn't look realistic. There's, it's like, how's this little thin thing back then going to do this? Yeah. But, uh, uh, I know. But it was cool. I liked it, though. All right. Not believable, but okay. All right. So another gadget that he uses here, which is another lame little gadget, is this thing. It looks like a credit card, but it's emblazoned with sharper image. And he uses it to open up a window. Okay. Small, stupid device. Shouldn't have bothered with it. Yeah. Okay. And we probably shouldn't have either. <laughs> All right. There's a lot of other minor gadgets, tape recorders, remote bomb detonators, wall-mounted cameras, credit cards that pick locks, and, and a lot more. So we're not going to go over all of those. We looked at a lot of gadgets here in these three Roger Moore Bond movies. But before we end our talk on gadgets here, we want to pass on a tip of the week here, or some fun facts about some real major gadgets. We've seen the use of both sonar and radar in many spy movies and many World War II movies as well. We all know that laser, for example, stands for light amplification by stimulated emission of radiation. We all know that. Yeah. What a great acronym. I always forget that, but anyway, that's what laser stands for. All right, but does radar and sonar stand for something? I never of paid course attention. they do. I never paid attention to this. So here you go. Radar is radio detection and ranging and is, of course, used as a detection system that uses radio waves to determine the distance, angle, radial velocity, all kinds of things of objects relative to its location. They use it for aircraft. That's, that's an aptly named acronym. Yeah, radio detection and ranging. Well, Let me guess. Cool. Sonar is going to be sound navigation well the first practical radar system was produced in 1935 sonar yeah sound navigation and ranging and it's useful for exploring and mapping the ocean because sound waves travel farther in water than do radar and light waves so while it was developed in world war (laughs) one actually leonardo da vinci 
first used this concept or this technique by inserting a tube into the water to detect vessels by ear. <laughs> How about that? Okay. But anyway, that's it. Sonar so you're saying sonar has this basis from Leonardo da Vinci. That's pretty cool. It is. Yeah. Pretty good. All right. Now that's a wrap. <laughs> a lot of gadgets in some of the Bond movies in real life. All right. This has been Dan. And Tom. From SpyMovieNavigator.com and our podcast show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Please subscribe to our show in your favorite podcast app and on YouTube. Yeah, we're all over social media as well, too. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Thank you.